Welcome to Dear Skylar, where I talk to incredible people to answer the common questions that I'm asked as a transgender educator and advocate, topics like gender, race, mental health, inclusion, and everything in between and beyond. One of the reasons I started this podcast is because people have a lot of questions and a lot of these people have really good intentions. They want to be supportive, they want to help, they want to be allies, but they don't always know how. They don't always have all the right words. And sometimes people are very afraid to ask the questions they want to because they don't wanna offend me, they don't wanna hurt anybody, and they don't wanna seem like they don't know what they're talking about. And so today the question that I want to address is can we be allies and still have questions? To dive into this, I'll be talking to Brendan Ayambadejo, a former NFL player and Super Bowl champion. I first met Brendan at the No Hate Campaign's first in-person talk, where we sat on a panel together about LGBTQ allyship. What fascinates me about Brendan's story is he actually began doing this work a long time ago. So in 2009, he wrote his first op-ed for the Huffington Post, where he said he supported marriage equality. And remember, this is five years before the first openly gay NFL player, Michael Sam, even came out. Brendan was already saying he stood for and with gay rights and gay people. In our discussion, we'll dive into Brendan's background and learn about why exactly he has become this advocate, why he cares so much about trans and queer inclusion. You'll also see Brendan ask me some questions and try to learn a little bit about my journey as well. We'll talk a lot about trans women in sports because as we all know, that's a hot topic. And Brendan had some questions about it, even as an ally. A quick note as you listen, Brendan references Fallon and he's talking about Fallon Fox, a transgender mixed martial artist. Brendan, I'm really excited that you're here. Uh, I I have known about you for several months now because we we did the NASCAR No Hate campaign um, first live event together, which was awesome. And when I met you, I was like, oh my gosh, I have to have to get know to know this this guy more. Um, and I'm curious, you know, I, I've done a bunch of research now. As soon as I met you, actually before I met you, I had done research on you because I want to know who this guy was. Um, and uh, why is he here? <laughs> <laughs> to be quite honest, that was my question yeah. because I always want to know, especially when we're doing work that is about a specific identity, I want to know. Is somebody coming from identity? Are they coming from allyship? Are they coming from experience? Right. What, you know, where are they coming from? Um, not because any is less valid necessarily, but it's important, at least for me on a panel, to know where somebody's Absolutely. coming from. So I know a little bit about you, but the listeners might not. So can you give me a little bit of uh, a background of, of yourself, name and pronouns, and then uh, who you are in the world? Yeah, so I'm Brendan I am Badejo. He, him, his. Um, I think I quickly took, well, I was, I was raised for the most part in California. I lived mm -hmm. in Chicago until I was about 10. Mm. And um, I think what kind of molded and shaped me was my ethnicity. Mm. And I'm half Nigerian and half Irish. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I told you on the panel is that mm -hmm. I, I get along with a lot of Latinos because <laughs> I kind of just fall into that bucket. Like, mm -hmm. what is he? He's not mm -hmm. black, he's not white, oh, he's Latino. Mm -hmm. um, but with that being said, uh, my parents raised me in such a way that, that to be inclusive of all people. Mm -hmm. And we had talked a little bit um, about Loving versus Virginia when we sat mm -hmm. on the mm -hmm. panel in Arizona, the no hate event and how in the sixties had, had my parents met each other in the South, mm -hmm. they wouldn't have been able to get married. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. Just cause of miscegenation laws and whatnot. So and people don't think like, Oh, in America, black and white people or different races couldn't get married at some point in time, it was illegal. And so now, um, we still are fighting for equalities and different things. And we've come a, we've come a long way, but we we always have to continue to evolve. And I think as Americans, we love this country, and that's why we do the work that we do. Mm. That we understand it's not the best country in the world, but we are here, and we have some of the best opportunities in the world. And so mm. um, that's what my my background comes from is just from love and equality. And you can't just pick and choose what segments of that that you want to represent. If you're going to do it, you have to do it all. Otherwise, it's not genuine. So mine, mine has kind of surpassed just ethnicity and it's gone to 
um, equal rights and marriage equality and different laws to help even immigration or um, children or whatever it is. I try to at least have some type of IQ in all of those and some type of proximity to all of it. Not all of it is near as close to me. So I try to learn. So that's why I'm here with you. I, I want to continue to learn and know that I don't know it all, but I'm, I'm willing. I don't have to understand it, but I'm willing to learn and I'm willing to uh, be compassionate about it. So that's my background. I'm a mixed guy, basically. And um, love is love. And that's the way that I was raised. And it became a very important part of my career as I played in the NFL for 10 years and who I am. And a lot of people know me more now, not because I, I played in two Super Bowls or two Pro Bowls and played in the NFL for a long time. They know me as the guy that's in the NFL that's straight, that is very pro equality, equal mm -hmm. rights, marriage equality, so on and so forth. And I think that led us to coming together and to continue both of our um, fights and plights for continued equality and education. And so, yeah, that's why I'm here. And I'm a very unlikely candidate to kind of be here. I think you're um, a perfect candidate. I think I'm perfect too, because people don't, people don't, oh, like, oh, I think it's okay for a black and a white, white person to love each other, a black black girl and a white guy but it's not okay for a black guy and a black guy to love each other no like it doesn't work that way love is love you know so um i think god put me in this position for a reason i had brought mm -hmm. enough shoulders to handle it mm -hmm. and um but i think it's just because the way that i was raised and mm -hmm. i think it, it called me i didn't call for it i didn't look for it so um i just answered i the the, the someone knocked on the door and i answered <laughs> it basically and this was the call and um i try to teach my kids you know all the same things and i think it's it's just second nature for them they don't even they don't even think about marriage equality it's just kind of the way that they were raised and a lot of the younger generation as well you know being that i was born in the 70s you know the the kids that are born in the 2000s and the 1990s they're a lot more open minded so that's a beautiful thing that we are actually advancing but there's still work to be done so we will continue to work and that's why we're here just to learn and educate and Keep moving forward. I think that the athlete part is a really important part of this because as we know, um, a lot of sports, especially men's sports, especially, you know, the big five sports, um, professional sports are slow to adapt to inclusion, right? Um, and I, you know, the first openly, um, first openly gay player in the NFL who didn't, I don't believe he actually ended up playing um, or being drafted. I can't remember. Uh, Michael Mike, Sam. Yeah, Michael Sam right. was 2014, right. Right? right? And you actually began, this was, this really struck me. You actually began your fight for marriage equality before that, um, before there were openly gay players in the NFL in 2009, um, when you began speaking for marriage equality, fighting for Prop 8 and so on. Can you tell me a little bit about beginning that? Because it, it it really struck me because I, I mean, even that was when that was when I was in middle school and high school, like those years. And even then, we we weren't talking about queerness in a way that we are now. There wasn't like the there wasn't an openness the way that there is now. Right. Um, not that we're you know where we need to be, but we've moved forwards, I think. Um, and and the NFL certainly did not feel like a welcoming place either. So how did you? Why? Why did you, first of all, yeah. decide to say something and then how? Yeah, I think a lot of it goes back to my background and how it was kind of like I was called to do this. Mm -hmm. And um, so when I was a child, I lived at University of, of California, Santa Cruz, UCSC. And we my stepdad proctored a queer dorm. And so everyone in the dorm was either um, was either queer or they were ethnic. So mm -hmm. it was kind of both like you could <laughs> some kind of marginalized all together, though, right? We're all like some we're, we're kind of. Um, I, I wouldn't say looked down upon, like we were there for a reason, but disadvantaged in some type of way, at least in that time. And so we're talking about 
the late 80s, early 90s, you know? And so I, I just grew up in the dorm like that was normal, you know? And so you would see um, young kids that were couples, same-sex couples or whatever, and different ethnicities and so on and so forth. Like that was normal. I grew up in Santa Cruz. That was very normal. And then we would we would go to the local bar as well, um, the Blue Lagoon, and we'd go dance at the local bar. It was a queer bar, which was awesome, you know? So... Um, and as a, as a straight male and, and all my buddies were the same, like we didn't care, like, oh, we're going to go to the Blue Lagoon or, oh, we're going to go to, um, we're going to go stay at Brendan's and, and go to the dorms and spend the night and play tag and do all this. And so anyways, that was very normal for me. So what wasn't normal though, was in around 2008 or so Obama's running against McCain Mm. and, uh, it's Obama's obviously it's his first, um, time trying to you know reach the presidency and he kind of straddled the fence on on marriage equality and traditional values I, yeah, yeah I don't even, why is that even called traditional I, right well, like why well, is whose it, tradition is the question yeah and, and <laughs> like why is it you know um when we talk about uh gay rights lgbtq rights why are they called gay rights and lgbtq plus rights they're just rights right so anyways it, that didn't seem normal to me and what i did appreciate is that McCain was opposed to it, but he was honest. Mm. So I just appreciated the honesty. Mm. And so that was the first thing that happened. And then around that same time, Britney Spears got married to a friend in Vegas. Obviously they were drinking and partying. You wanna get married? Sure, let's get married. And instantly they had more rights than friends that I I have that that are in um, same-sex relationships. And instant and for ten years of monogamous same sex relationship, um, they had more rights instantly by getting married in Vegas than my friends, or some of my friends, right? So that struck me as weird. Mm. Like that didn't make any kind of sense. Mm. And so it's real late at night, and I decided to write, write an op ed for the Huffington Post. And so I wrote it, and I don't I don't know if it's still on there, but it went viral. Mm-hmm. And then all sorts of different marriage equality. Um, organizations started reaching out to me, uh, Marriage Equality Florida, Marriage e- Equality Maryland, Marriage Equality California. And once again, I just, I answered the call. They knocked on the door, I answered the call. And then I started working with these different organizations to see what I could do. And the only way they could get a hold of me at the time, because social media wasn't then what it is now, 2008, 2009, was to call the Baltimore Ravens. So the Baltimore Ravens were flooded <laughs> with phone calls and letters. Like I had buckets of like, people were sending me letters from Nigeria, which it's wow. still deadly to be gay in Nigeria. Right, right. In certain parts of the world, it's deadly. to right. Even in America, it's deadly to be part of the trans community. We know that. Right, right. Um, so I was getting just letters and outpouring. And, and then the Ravens had to filter the calls because they couldn't, they couldn't align me with everybody. But what they did do is they aligned me with Marriage Equality Maryland. And eventually we got marriage equality passed in Maryland, which was a beautiful thing. And so I was just glad to be a part of that. And um, so that's how it started. But I wasn't, you know, my, even though my shoulders were strong and my shoulders were broad, there wasn't a time back then where I didn't feel insecure about supporting the things that I supported. And I didn't know if I could lose my job. I didn't know if there would be violence against me. I didn't, cause some of the, I got hate mail as well. Everything wasn't just great mail. It was hate mail. I mean, it it would have been 90 pieces of great mail and then 10 pieces of bad mail. But when you're dealing with some zealots, like, oh, you're, you're going against God and God is going to do this and that. Like these are sometimes, these are the kind of people that end up being like mass shooters and, and doing crazy things like that. So it didn't come without any, 
I was brave, but it didn't come without any insecurities and, and, and being frightened at times from it. But, um, slowly but surely things started to change. And that was just the start of it was in 2008, 2009. And it got a lot bigger from there, but that was the catalyst. I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Sorry. I have a question about part of that before you keep going, which is when you said you were, you felt insecure, you felt, um, afraid you were worried you could lose your job. Those are all things that I was imagining too. I was like, gosh, and that's why I want to ask you, like, why did you do it? I hear hear that it's something that you felt deeply passionate about and that it was, you know, a clear injustice to you that for example, Britney Spears could get married overnight to somebody she'd never really even been dating perhaps and then your friends who had been in these long faithful monogamous relationships couldn't and that was a clear you know glaring injustice to you um and there's this other thing of like you right your your life and your safety your um livelihood your your job uh and yet you still took this risk right and i'm i'm curious kind of what emboldened you i hear it's it you know maybe it's just that you didn't want this injustice to stand but Tell me right. a little bit more about that. Like what, what made wow. you take that risk? Even I think in that, this made me so emotional. It's giving me goosebumps, but mm. um, people died for, for us to have equal rights. Mm. People died for it. So um, I, I didn't think I was putting my life online, but it, people died. So in America, so many people died. Millions of people died in America so we could have equal rights. And whether they did it just for black people or whether it was allies that did it just for black people, this is just the next evolution of it. And like, I don't identify, I I always say I'm hundred percent black, but I'm 50% white. I know the math Mm. doesn't add up, but with that being said, like, I'm not here just for self-preserving equal rights. I don't know what my kids, I don't know what, who they're going to end up marrying or what they're going to end up doing. I want them to be able to do it and to be able to live happy lives. So I think for me, like I was willing to, even though I was willing to lose my job for this, I was willing to, I would die for this, for equal rights for my kids and for other people as well. So without the Lincolns, without um, the MLKs and and without people that, without the, I mean, that's why I mentioned, you know, President Lincoln, but as an ally, um, without, the, without allyship, these things don't get done because obviously we're the minority for a reason. And so at some point, the majority is going to have to step up and really take this over the finish line. And so, yeah, I was willing to go deep and, and far for the cause. And who cares? Like, what am I What am I before a football player? I'm a father. I'm Nigerian. I'm American. Um, I'm Irish-American. Um, there's, a, there's a long list of things. I'm a brother. I'm a son. There's a long list of things that I am before a football player. So for you to take that away from me wasn't that big of a deal, but to take away some of the other things was a big deal. So I was willing to go pretty far for it. Yeah, that's clear. I mean, that that really strikes me and I think, you know, makes me feel deeply as well, because I think um, what I hear you doing is taking this cause as your, as your own and seeing it truly. And I say this cause as, as in trans rights, queer rights, LGBTQ plus rights, but you're, you're, you're actually getting to the real core of it, which is that it's actually not just trans rights. Like you said, it's, it, it is just rights. Exactly. And I think that's what people miss. And, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll dive into women's sports and all kinds of other controversy in, in a bit, but, but I, I think this is actually more important because it's actually the core of it, which is recognizing the humanity of another person um, or another group of people and somehow seeing yourself in them um, so that you can see that common humanity. And it sounds like that has never been an issue for you. It's been something that's been easy, uh, you know, a given that, that you've been able to do. 
Yeah, and I think I'll, I've always seen myself as part of the LGBTQ plus community. Like I've mm. always, I've always identified with the community. Mm. And my sister's half Mexican, so I've always identified with you know, like I just insert myself in, you know. And you know, at, at some point, you can't always say they. You know, it has to be us at some point in time. Like we're all in this together. And I think, and it's, and I also don't consider myself an advocate or even an ally. I just consider myself a human being that is out for the best interests of all human beings. If we all have our best interests, then we're all gonna serve society and community in a better way, in a beautiful way. And so, um, yeah, I just always kind of just inserted myself. And I think that's how, that, that's been the benefit of being biracial. I can insert myself into being white and Irish, and I can insert myself into being black and Nigerian. I can insert myself into being American or, growing up with having a stepdad that was Mexican and in being in a household, you know, for a certain amount of time mm -hmm. with Mexicans that like I can understand and identify. And then growing up in the LGBTQ plus dorm, I can identify with the community. So I didn't ever, it was never they, it was always us. Mm. But also I also have grace as well. Like I understand there's certain things just because I consider myself a part of the community, there's certain words that I can't use. And there's certain things that I don't have privileges to say and do, um, but I still consider it as us. And so, well, I hear, I think that there's a really important distinction you're making. I don't hear when you, you said you use the word insert yourself. And I think some people might run with that and maybe accuse you of trying to like speak over us, but that's not what I hear. I hear you saying you, you, you want to make an us. And I, I think that is actually the, the most powerful part is saying, let's stop othering people. Let's stop putting them in the category over there that I can't understand. Let me actually, let me look at myself and see how I can understand somebody else. Right. Um, and I think that's, honestly, one of the biggest issues in our country right now is that people aren't doing that. They're not saying, actually, I have more in common with you than I don't. Right. Um, and actually, we are more of an us than you are a them. Yeah. Obviously, there's certain things I'm not going to know, I'm not going to understand, but I'm going to listen and I want to learn and and I'm going to be very supportive and um, compassionate more than anything. Like, I don't always have to understand. I'd like to, you know, be able to un to have empathy and understand. That's not always going to be the case, but I, I can always be compassionate. Mm. I think that that highlights a really important point, which is that allyship doesn't require understanding. Um, and it does require compassion. It does require empathy. It does require listening, but it doesn't actually always require understanding. Right. Uh, and I think lots of people get hung up on that. They get hung up on understanding. Yeah. Like you don't have to, it's going to be really hard for me to tell you what it feels like as a black man. And there's a, say there's a white lady walking down the street. And so she feels safe. I cross the street, you know, mm -hmm. or when I get pulled over by a police officer, like, why am I so scared? And why do I have a protocol when I get pu pulled over by police officers? Why do I have a protocol? Mm -hmm. I don't expect you to understand that, mm -hmm. you know? So, mm -hmm. um, and you don't have to understand that, but just know that there's certain things that I have to do to remain safe so I can get home at night that you don't necessarily have to do or even on your radar. And then we all kind of have those things, even women, like as, as being a girl dad, I had to learn like, it, like women don't feel safe getting in an Uber by themselves all the time if it's late at night or, or whatever it is. So like I had to learn these little things. I'm like, oh, you, like I never even thought of that. Like me as a 6'1", 220-pound man, like what do you mean? You don't feel safe in an Uber? Mm -hmm. Or you don't like what does it feel like as a woman to not feel safe at night walking home by yourself? Or, mm -hmm. you know, why do we do some of the things that or why do women do some of the things that they do? Um, 
it's different being a man and it's different being a woman and it's different being black and it's different being gay. It's different being trans. There's different nuances that we all have to deal with in life. Um, and some of them are our own and some of them are, there really is something going on in society that we need to fix. So I think also action can precede understanding, right? I think it's a great quest to understand. I, like I know that, you know, communities that I'm not a part of, I want to understand because I think part of, part of how I walk through the world is trying to understand other people. And, and I, and I, I really value understanding. Um, and I want people to feel understood as well. I think that's another part of it. But my actions shouldn't shouldn't wait until I understand, right? right? Um, and you know that's something that um, I've learned in my allyship to to Black communities, Indigenous communities, you know, Brown communities that I'm not a part of. Um, I don't always understand certain things, and I'm and I don't know if I ever will, you know, for certain parts of it because I'm not Black, I'm not Indigenous, I'm not, you know, I'm not Latino, so. I think it's okay that we don't understand. It's something that I try to communicate to a lot of people about transness, especially because a lot of people are stuck on all the details and they're like, well, I don't get it. So it's not true. Right. And I'm like, but, but there's so much more in the world that you don't get that is not, you know, suddenly not true because you don't get it. You know what I mean? Um, so actually that, that kind of leads into a question I wanted to ask you, which is as an ally who doesn't necessarily understand everything, um, what are some moments that are difficult, right? That have challenged your allyship uh, because you didn't have the right answer, perhaps. Yeah, I think um, it, it was great to see how how you've gone along and how you've been successful in men's sports. Mm. And you've went in there and you didn't, you didn't want to take the easy road. You want to compete with the best of the best. And you did a very, it was great to learn that you did a very good job doing that. Mm. Um, I think one of the things is that, and we talked earlier about Fallon Fox and how mm -hmm. she gets her ass whipped by other women, right? <laughs> and I love Fallon and I, I follow her on Facebook and we sat on a Hetrick Martin board to get, or a Hetrick Martin panel together in New mm -hmm. York and that's where I met her. And um, it's funny to say like, I don't have any advantages, you know, like she does all the things that she needs to do and she goes out there and fights and she trains her ass off and she gets her, she's got a 500 record, you know? But there is the anomaly of the trans athlete that, um, that competes against other women and dominates, right? And I believe you had mentioned that there's a swimmer. So, um, and it's and, and then for me, it's like, I'll hear other women saying like, oh, I don't want my daughter competing against her or she's taking a space away from another lady. So like, how do we have healthy conversations? Because there's obviously a lot of angst, you know, from, from women talking about this. Um, and so like, how do we, what's, what's the answer? or what's the resolution, or maybe there isn't one, but what are some of the talking points or what are some things we can talk about to educate and and quell some of the this friction that we have when we talk about trans athletes? Yeah. Well, so let's, yeah, let's, let's dive into that one. You had said a couple of different thing. You earlier, you had said something like that, that swimmer destroying everyone. You said the rare case with the swimmer destroying everyone. Um, and I first really want to, to, start with facts. Okay. So one of the things that, that we talk about, um, that I talk about a lot is that a lot of people are very misinformed. Even the people who want to be allies have read misinformed or just straight up lies about the people that we're talking about. Right. So the person that, that the, the swimmer we're, we're referring to is Leah Thomas, who's a friend of mine. She swam at university of Pennsylvania. She's the first openly trans person to win a D one championship, um, as an openly trans person. Um, and that happened in 2022. She's won one national competition, one singular national competition in one race, in one event, right? Um, and the headlines have all said exactly what you said, destroying women's sports, right. dominating <laughs> women's sports, shattering records. Right. Um, 
so at that meet, NCAA championships, we're just, like I said, we're just starting with facts. Yeah. At NCAA championships last year, um, there were 27 records that were broken. They were American records. Uh, some of them were world records, like world, because you know there were very fast swims there. Um, some of them were, were meet records, some were NCAA records, right? So lots of kinds of records were broken, 27 total. Um, 18 of them were set by not Leah Thomas. They were actually one person, Kate Douglas, set 18 of those records. So over half of them were set by one person. And nobody wrote that Kate Douglas was dominating sports, taking slots away from women, that she was winning too much. They just let her win. Said, wow, amazing, right? Leah broke zero records. Exactly zero. She didn't break an American record. She didn't break a world record. She didn't even break a meet record. And she did not break a pool record. She was actually nine seconds behind the the American record that's set by Katie Ledecky. Nine seconds is a lot in swimming. Yeah. yeah for anybody who doesn't know, nine seconds is pretty much the whole pool length. Yeah. Yeah. You are like on the other side of the pool. Um, so Leah did not actually shatter these records the way everybody said that she did. She broke a couple records at a previous very small in-season meet at an invitational. And people don't quite understand exactly what that means. But the point is, it's not a big deal. Right. <laughs> um, you, nobody knows the name of that pool. But the headline was a big deal. But the headline was right. a huge deal because she won by a good amount you know, that race. But that happens in in-season meets in these types of races because it's everybody's all over the place in season, right? Um, so anyways, long story short, the first fact is that we actually haven't seen trans woman domination. Um, most people can't name more than three trans women who have won a national or international competition. I'd be surprised if you could name more than three. I've now given you two names, right? Leah Thomas and Fallon Fox. Maybe, well, actually, yeah, can you name a third? No, I don't even, it's not even on my radar. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so most people, some people can name Laurel Hubbard, who was the first trans woman Olympian that happened in 2020, well, 2021. Um, and then there's a handful of others. There's actually 20 total, about 20 total trans women who've won national or international competitions in the history of recorded sports, 20. So the first and most important fact that people don't know and that people are getting tricked, right, deceived by the media um, is that trans women are doing some kind of domination when in reality, the people right. who dominate women's sports are cis women right? Just right. by numbers. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really important to, to sort of first start with is we actually don't have this domination people are afraid of, even okay. with Leah, who's yeah. won one race. Yeah, she won one race. She won by about two seconds. Um, and that's not a market amount at the 500 freestyle. Her competitor, Brooke 40's best time would have won if Brooke had gone her best time, right? So it wasn't this, I mean, it was a great swim. And I part of what I hate is that I have to tell you that Leah's fair because she's not like she didn't dominate when we when we actually celebrate other athletes who dominate right right but then if it's a trans woman it's not okay right the other thing is that we've like you said we've actually had a sprinkling of other trans women in women's sports for a long time and they a, haven't dominated and b nobody really cared until they started maybe creeping up to win Right. Um, and that's why we had this huge, you know, breakout with Leah this past year was because she actually did well. But we've actually seen other trans swimmers in the NCAA before on the women's side, and nobody had a panic attack about it because that person, Natalie, didn't win. Um, so I'm going to pause there. I'm curious what you think and how, like, well, I have more thoughts, but let's, let's start. Yeah. There. No, I think that, that it's beautiful to have people like you that, because if you just read the headlines all the time, which is, yeah, you're and, and, I, and I just regurgitated the headline, right? Yeah. And obviously, I don't know what's really going on mm. other than Fallon Fox because I really know Fallon, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, no, I think that you're absolutely right. Like, we can't, doesn't matter where you read something. Like, did you fact check that? Do you know? Because you can always make something 
you can always make something look like something that it's not. So I think that that more than ever, we, we still have to continue to fact check, even when we think you, you're reading something that's, I mean, obviously the internet we know, but even articles that are published, New York Times or, you know, these big publications that have been around for hundreds of years, that we still have to kind of fact check those. And you can't, the saying holds true, you can't believe everything that you read. And especially now. So I think that um, once again, I'm here to learn. So I'm glad you brought it to my attention. And then the last sticking point that I do here is that, um, so say in that particular meet, she had a great swim and what other women are saying and why some women are upset is like, but that could have been somebody else's spot. So I, I think when, when you start to transition, what is that like? And then obviously you're taking hormones and there's a process and men have more testosterone than women. So obviously if you are transitioning to a woman, then you're going to, I don't know what the, the hormonal process is, but there's something that puts you in that hormonal state of a woman, I'd imagine. So um, I, I just from a little bit of talking to Fallon and talking about, you know, her transitioning and whatnot, she had told me a little bit about that process, but I'd like to know more about it and kind of uh, hormonally and ke chemically, like what, what does, what happens? What does that feel like? And, and what is that change um, that, that makes it a, a equal or a fair playing field? Mm -hmm. Okay. So let's, let's go back first to language. Like you said, I'm allowed to correct you on language. Absolutely. So I'm going to invite you in on, on one of the words you, you said that could have been, or you were saying that um, talking about somebody transitioning to a woman. Um, so the, the first thing is that we, we kind of moved away from saying transition to a woman. We'll say, you know, affirming one's gender um, or just transitioning. But when we say to a woman, we're implying that somebody's going like, you know, from one gender to another. And most people that I know don't actually feel that way. I, right. I, didn't, I didn't become a man when right. I started taking testosterone. I was affirming the manhood that was there and sort of aligning my you know physicality to some degree with myself, but I didn't become a man, right? right. Um, so just, a, I think that that sort of affirmation versus that's, becoming. Yeah, that's an important nuance for sure. That also though is a really important part of what we're talking about with sports because a lot of people will say, well, men can't become women and then play in sports and, and what have you. And, and so this, this becoming, this change, this, this idea that paints a really strict binary that says we've got men over here and women over here. And you even said something like that, where you said, okay, well, these, you know, men have higher testosterone and women have this. And even that isn't completely comprehensive. Are there averages? Of course. Of course. Yeah. Um, but what most people, what most people will say, and scientists, I'm not actually not a biologist and an endocrinologist, but I read a lot about these things, um, and I've taken a class at school uh, about specifically hormones and behavior. And it's so it's a bimodal distribution. What does that mean? There's two sort of like modes. There's two averages that people sort of sit uh, around that most people clump around, but it's still a spectrum. And when I say it, I'm talking about biological sex. So right. we've got these sort of yeah. like modes. These it's sort of like two humps, right? Two bell curves that are put together. Right where most people fall around sort of what we would call sort of classically, traditionally male or female, but not everybody. Right. And all of them are on some kind of spectrum, right? Even even like your testosterone levels might not be exactly the same. I doubt they're exactly the same as, you know, all of your guy friends, for example. Um, nor, you know, would my testosterone levels before I transitioned be exactly the same as all cis women that I might know, right? These things are also in, in spectrum. Um, and so when we think about biological sex as, as not these like incredibly fixed categories where we're picking these parts and putting it here and then that's that, 
I think it, it begs the question of of what you said, like, well, what does fairness look like in sports and how do we categorize them? And, you know, and I don't actually, to be quite honest with you, have a perfect answer for what that looks like, because how do we include intersex folks? Um, how do we include um, diversity in general? What does inclusion look like? But when we ask those questions, and this is something that happens often within, you know, the conversation about trans or they don't say this explicitly, but when we talk about the inclusion of trans women, a lot of the arguments about excluding trans women look a lot like arguments, when I say a lot, they're identical to the arguments excluding black women. And that happened in the 60s, that happens when you know integration began to happen and women's sports were created, not really for inclusion, they were included for white women. <laughs> um, and there's a lot, if we look at, you know, we can look up headlines and look up any kind of, you know, if you research black women in sport, there's tons of policing of black women's bodies in sports. Right, there still and is, they still, that's I mean, gone. I think women in general still have to take some type of test. Yeah. So I have a little segue, but that doesn't mean I don't wanna come back. Please. Um, and the question is that, um, Caitlyn Jenner, for example, mm. like I bet there's tons of biological advantages, right? And if we look at the, the spectrum, the gender spectrum, um, and I just I want to learn more, and I want you to kind of explain this a little bit. It's like, so what if you have max testosterone and you're this manly man, but there's something inside you that maybe is your true gender, mm. and maybe maybe Caitlyn falls in this category. I don't know, but your true gender, and so it's like, man, you were so successful at, at what you did like why are you going to change everything now but there's your true gender and who you are inside and and you know it, as we talk about there's a spectrum and way on the other extreme i would i would assume i don't know i'm just just based on all the athletic performance and, and everything like that um there was bruce and so bruce is a gold medalist and so on and so forth and then you know bruce but Pr bruce's true identity inside was caitlin so um, even though most people don't understand that 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 gender is a spectrum and sexual orientation is a, is a spectrum and so on and so forth, you could be on one of the other sides, but that doesn't mean that you couldn't fall to the other side based on what your true gender is. And I don't know if I'm saying it right, but could you do you know what I'm asking you, or do you know what I'm saying? I'm trying or? to. I was trying to figure that out. Well, I so as I. I didn't interrupt you, but I should have to remind you that we don't call people their names from before. Um, so okay. we would we just just a note. Um, most of the time, trans people don't like it when we when we call names from before. So I understand what you're trying to say, which is right, why right, you right. used uh, Caitlin's dead name. Yeah. Dead name is the word we use to talk okay. about names from the past. Um, a lot of people don't like to be called their dead names. Don't like to have them referred, just because it kind of drags forth a lot Understood. of that history. Yes. Um, Okay, let's 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 go let's go backwards a little bit. So first of all, um, I think it's important to separate biological sex, which is you know our physical attributes, our anatomy, um, testosterone, genitals, all that kind of stuff, right? That's that's biological sex. Um, it's not binary in that we can't just say okay, it's just male or it's just female. Right. So there's a lot of complexity right. there. Um, and and then we've also got gender, right? The other thing is gender, gender identity, and. For I think most of us, we've been raised to believe that our our genitals equal our gender, our 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 biological sex equals our gender. This is what I'm asking. Yes, you say it so much better than me, and so much more concise and beautifully than I do. Please, just like I, I've I've even had these conversations with you before, but just explain this, and then also like I want to take it into and understand it better. You know, right? So biological sex is 
the way that I think most people believe it to be and when, what we're taught in, in childhood is that biological sex is, is male or female. It's XX and XY, right. it's penis and vagina, and that's it. Right. And it's more complicated than that, right? I, right. I, I spent I spent a, a really great class in, at Harvard learning about hormones and behavior, and it was all about the what's, what we call sexual differentiation. And everything actually begins the same, right? In utero, all of your, uh, it's epicondyl tissue, but all your tissues, all your body, it, which is just a bunch of cells at one point, um, they're all actually the same. And there isn't any differentiation. And then at some point, because of a, a gene on the Y chromosome that has to exist, because not all Y chromosomes actually have the gene, which is also another thing, but you have to have the Y chromosome that has the SRY gene, the SRY gene needs to be read, then testes will form. And the same type, the same tissue that produces testes also will then produce uh, ovaries if there isn't the SRY gene. And that's just the, the first, the first right. sort of like branching. And then every single pathway from there differentiates and, and creates variety, right, of biological sex. I'm not going to explain to you all about that because it's we need to give everybody a science lesson. But there's a lot of complexity there. And um, most people don't know that. And right. there's a whole lot more people with those complexities where we call it intersex, right? People who don't have these, uh, who don't have characteristics that fall into these sort of neat categories, if you will. Um, there's more, way more people who are intersex than, than, we, than I think most people know. Um, so that's biological sex. And what people really usually mean when they talk about biological sex is either hormones, chromosomes, um, or genitalia. And they assume that they all are always in these neat categories. Gender is something that is separate, often related, right? But a separate identity that is who we are. And for most people where we just assume, right? This is what cis sort of cis normativity is. We assume that everybody's biological sex does dictate their, their gender identity right. and that they're the same. And right. that's just not true. Right. Um, and then that dictates sexual orientation as well. Right. Exactly. Which there's kind of like three categories that we're talking about. And it's so fascinating but people don't spend time to try to just delve into these things and just right. learn even just the basics, which I'm learning a lot today. Yeah. Um, but once again, I don't necessarily understand it all, but I'm accepting of it all. Hmm. And so that's the beautiful thing. So keep keep going, please. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I, I appreciate the space to, to or the invitation to, to share about it with you. I think one of the things I heard when you're talking about Caitlin um, is is this assumption to some degree that because Caitlin has, you know, the, you, you had said like the most male attributes. Right. Um, the first thing I'll, I'll, I guess, invite you to is you actually don't know a whole lot about her testosterone levels unless she's released them, which I, I didn't know that she had. Um, so you probably actually don't know her testosterone levels. You may probably hopefully don't know what her genitals look like. Um, you know, you don't actually know a lot about her chromosomes or her internal organs or like we, we actually don't know these things, but people assume based on performance, right? So based on how people look and based on how they perform in sports in this, in this particular category. And that's also fallible, right? There's, there's a lot of um, complexity that we don't understand about exactly how sports work. So part of your earlier question about how, you know, what's, where do we go from here? We need a lot more research also on sports and how sports work, but we actually can't do the, that research on people like Castro Semenya or like Leah Thomas and other trans women athletes if we don't include them. <laughs> like you can't research elite level sports if you don't let people play elite level sports, right? right. Um, so that's something to consider. And with Caitlin specifically, I think people miss that um, just because she succeeded in sports doesn't actually have does it there's a, there's so many more factors about one's success in sports than just one's body um and i think there's a lot of research that supports mental like mental capacity mental health mental sort of wellness is actually one of the primary differentiating factors in in sports than other things right um okay so moving from there though i'm curious how how this is landing because i think a lot of times these are conversations that people 
stumble through um, and right. that are like stressful for people. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm wondering what you're thinking. Yeah. So I, th- I think that like, is I get, I have a very elementary understanding of all the things that you're saying. And I think the thing that I want to highlight and something that that's very postable for me on my social media, and hopefully I can do that, is that, that you can't take somebody like Caitlin and just assume because Caitlin was successful. Caitlin performed at a certain level that that person that you see is them living their true life. And so I think, you know, as I made all the assumptions, oh, Caitlin has to have this amazing amount of testosterone or hormones or whatever else that I, that I said, some of it was just kind of just, you know, just assumptions, just throwing things out there for conversation's sake, that, that that is who that person is. And so in life, when you see somebody and they are going through whatever they're going through and they're trying to live their truest life, don't try to take that away from them because just because you have XYZ that puts you in this bucket that's a male inside, you might be something completely different. Well, and, and what XYZ thing puts you in a bucket of male is that's fabricated, right? That right. concept Correct. of like even that bucket, right? The second thing you said is also true, yeah. but these buckets that we're dumping people into are they're, also made up. They're societal, we're conditioned to just believe that there's male, there's female, there's right. all there, you're supposed to be straight. That's the way that God created you. but. It's so much more complex than that. And one thing that I love to do, and I I, I love watching monkeys and how monkeys behave. And we're like 98% the same as monkeys, right? But the monkeys, they don't, you know, they have all kinds of different things that they do, you know? And in fact, there's, there's thousands and thousands of animals, which we're an animal, which is as much as humans think that we're not animals when it's all said and done, we're animals. Um, there's a lot of different roles that animals play. There's a seahorse that gives birth to, to children. There's, there's insects, there's mammals, there's birds, there's all kinds of different animals that, that, that are, I guess, for lack of a better phrase, are part of the LGBTQ community. <laughs> and that is normal for them. And then for us, we have all these societal structures and all these buckets and all these things that we create that are either acceptable or not acceptable. And we're kind of stuck in these ways. And I think one thing I, I, I would like my listeners to come away with is that we need to t- remove these filters, these buckets, and um, all the conditioning that we have and be more accepting of what human beings really are. So I think we're here to, for, for, to protect rights and, and actually some of them are rights that we've, we've never attained mm-hmm. at all. So not only are we trying to seek those things, but also we're also, as we evolve, it gives us the capacity to be able to to be more open to these things. Mm-hmm. And then as we're more open, then we see there's a group of people that are trying to take some of those things away. Mm-hmm. Some of these mm-hmm. things haven't been a category of rights in the past because they never even were accepted or people never even felt safe to bring them up or to address mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So it's great that we're, we're able to bring them up, we're able to address them, but we're also to see the inequalities that lie right. within a lot of the, the different things that we're talking about. And so we have to continue to put a spotlight on it. Mm. And, and you know, some of these topics are very new. Like I'm even me being part of, obviously like I'm missing some of the letters on the LGBTQIA spectrum, you know? So um, even some of these topics are new to me, somebody that's in the space and pretty familiar with the space. Um, and so, you know, still learning to, to talk about these things. So yeah, I can talk more confidently about these things and be like, well, trans women, they, they never had an advantage. So mm. what are you talking about? You know, oh, you're talking about one one woman that's one, one, one race and she didn't even break a meat record or anything like that. And, but yeah, the headlines say that she's destroying and beating everybody. Mm. And I, I'm, 
I'm you felt prey to that. I'm too? as ignorant. I'm as ignorant <laughs> as you are because right. I I felt I, I felt prey to it as well. So um, yeah, and, and then there's ego for people too. Like, oh wait, are you like they don't want to accept that they were wrong about a lot of things. Where me, I don't. That's that's part of it. Like, I don't care that I'm wrong. It's not about me being right or wrong. It's about doing what is right. Mm. Um, so like, I'm not out to prove you wrong. And um, if I am wrong, that's fine. But how do we get it right together? And that's really the only way to move on. I love what you said. You said, you know, I, I'm not about being right. I'm, I'm about doing what's right. Um, and I think that's so important. A lot of people, I think myself included, I'm not above this either. Like I like to, I like to be right. I like to try to get things right. Um, and a lot of us, I don't want to hurt people, but it's really, really important in, in my learnings of myself in the world is to be able to integrate new information when I'm presented with it. Right. Um, and I, I like to say it that way as well. Like it's, I think when people, I like to encourage people, especially allies, especially people who want to be allies, that it's not about being wrong. Like move on from that. It's not, it's not like, oh, you're a terrible person. This is wrong. It's, it's no, what, what do you want to do to improve? Right. Right. Um, and, and like, how can you, how can you adjust? How can you integrate? How can you move forwards? Um, and it really is like whatever you said was right to you in that moment, perhaps. <laughs> and then you learned right. new information and it turned out that you're growing. More. It's a beautiful thing. And I just, you look at America, America is that mm. went from slavery to segregation, mm. um, to Jim Crow laws. And then, you know, the people still are, you know, whatever still they are, working on it. <laughs> but we've come a long way. And mm. so process, you know, change, it takes time, but it, we're, we are, you have to admit that we're better now. And even look at Obama when he was straddling the fence to becoming the first president to speak out and sign bills for, for marriage equality and so on and so forth. People always want to bring up politicians this or politicians that, but what about you? Like, mm. it's okay if you are wrong. You're allowed to change your mind. You don't have it, it, it. We're not seeking to be right. Obviously, we don't want to be wrong, but we want to. At the end of the day, you should want to do the right thing, and that shows growth, and that shows that that you're evolving. So people get so stuck on like, even I've said things that were insensitive, and I've said things that are wrong in this podcast right now that I, you know, that I'm, I'm learning, and I. You know, for ex example, saying na past names, yeah. dead names, yeah. right? And I learned that's a new phrase, dead yeah. dead names. I just learned that just now. Yeah. And I know not to do that now. Yeah. And um, there's nothing wrong with being with being wrong and then trying to get it right Yeah. once you learn. And well, I people think, are so scared of that. Well, and, and perhaps then the most honest core, they're scared of it because they don't want to hurt people, like I said. And sometimes we will hurt people, right? Sometimes like, you know, I'm I'm not Caitlin, so I wasn't here to, to, to feel that. I'm also not somebody who felt personally, like I know your intentions, so I don't feel hurt. But there could be people that would listen and say, ouch, that hurt to, to hear, you know, Brendan misgender somebody use the wrong name. And, yeah. um, and there will be people that we hurt as, right. as those things happen. And then it's about having that grace to say, okay, I understand. I'm sorry. And I can I can apologize and I can be graceful about it. And whether the person on the other side accepts it or not, I hope they do. But I learned and then hopefully they I can give them a, a, sincere, a sincere apology. And I think the once again, let's zoom back is that there's things that people have a hard time changing their minds just to do what's right. People have a hard time apologizing. And so then that further um, separates us. And so through these conversations, I've got to a point where I don't want to lose any more friends so I can accept my friends now with their flaws. But hopefully at some point I can be the voice of reason that makes them want to do the right thing. And so I'm not giving up on friends anymore that even though I think they've lost their way or they're wrong about things, I want to continue to have healthy conversations with them and not be like, F you, like I can't talk to you because 
you decide to move to Texas and you <laughs> you want to do, you know, you believe in certain politics or whatnot. Um, and the reason I say that and people, you know, I've had friends that were like, oh my God, you support this or you support that, or you have friends that do this or politicians that do that, or you wear certain brands and then they, they don't want to be my friend anymore, you know? Um, but the reason I say that, uh, I'll continue to stay in my friends' lives because I lost a lot of friends over politics and beliefs and we think differently, but recently going through a separation, I know that these same friends, they would raise my kids. If something happened to me, I know that they would love and they would raise my kids. Maybe not like I would do it because they're going to be teaching them some different things, but we don't have enough of those people in our lives. And so I'm not willing this was my bar was like, if you, if I was gone tomorrow and you're willing to raise my kids, regardless if we think differently, I don't want to lose you as a friend and I'll continue to have healthy conversations with you and I'll accept the flaws that are in you. But if, if I just break up with you as a friend, then who's going to be better at helping you change your mind than me? I don't think there's going to be anybody, even though you're the best person to change your mind, but there's not going to be a person that's a positive voice that'll have these conversations that people have a hard time apologizing. People have a hard time changing their minds. Um, but I think that if anybody could do it, it would be me if we're good friends. So mm. you would raise my damn kids, even if you're racist <laughs> <laughs> and you're transphobic and you're homophobic and all these things. If you would raise my kids, then I'm going to stay in your life because I think that I could help you change your mind at some mm. point in time. So I'm not breaking up with friends anymore. That was the bar. <laughs> well, it sounds it sounds like what you're 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 attempting to value though is, um, and I think is really really important, which is the the idea that we actually, we if we can value our empathy, if we can value our our relationships with others um, over potential conflict, then we can actually work through the conflict, right? Um, and I don't I don't hear you. I don't think I'm hearing you condoning, right? Saying okay to racism, transphobia, misogyny, and so on, but rather saying okay me shaming you for those behaviors doesn't actually change them. And that's something that I've learned a lot in my experience, especially, you know, on a, on a men's sports team where there are people who said a lot of things that I didn't approve of or that I didn't agree with um, throughout the years. And I actually, early on, um, a, a mentor told me, Skylar, if you, if you quit the team, if you just yell at somebody, if you leave essentially in one way or another, you're not going to make a change. If you, you know, want this team to be better if you want to make an impact on these guys um or on any guys it doesn't have to be the team you actually have to be a person first and you can't just go around saying that's wrong i mean there are some things you have to just call out right there's some things you have yeah. to just say that's not okay yeah. um but uh, but humans are all you know I think we're all people that want to be loved, that want to belong, that want to have a, a connection with another human. And what I see, what I hear from what you're talking about um, is the desire to value that human connectedness in order to advance liberation for everybody. Brendan, I, I'm, I'm really glad that you took the time. And I, I what I really appreciate about having you here and, and all that you are um, is how honest you are, how vulnerable you are, how just, how just how just you are. And I think that um, a lot of people are scared to make mistakes. They're scared to say what they mean. They're scared to ask the questions that are truly in their head. And um, whenever I do speeches, I always say, hey, ask me any question truly, like don't filter yourself, ask the question. And I, I appreciate that you didn't filter yourself and we really dove into it um, because I think that that will help people. And my hope is that people will understand that, um, you know, a little bit 
more about what they're they're going through as well that they'll understand that um, it actually isn't that difficult to be an ally in many ways that you don't have to understand everything um, so to wrap up I'm curious if there's anything else you want to make sure that, that listeners know whether they're they're trans and queer like me or if they're an ally like you yeah I think that um, I think it's important to have these conversations and obviously like this isn't our first time communicating we spent some time together in person so I felt re really safe and relaxed to talk mm -hmm. with you and being an ally and and understanding that people are scared to make mistakes. If you want to have these conversations, then have it with somebody that you feel safe with, um, or maybe do some reading or follow you on social media, and then you can really just get the information firsthand. But there's nothing like a beautiful conversation mm. with a person that makes you feel safe and makes you feel mm. warm to have these conversations mm -hmm. with. So I, I just want to thank you for creating the space and allowing me to be me. I felt mm. like I could be my whole self and, mm, and show up and not filter <laughs> and not be worried about making mistakes. I knew going in, I was going to make mistakes, but I'm better coming out of it. Mm. And um, every day I try to get better at something regardless of what that is. And today, you know, I, I gained a, a better understanding for something that I'm already compassionate and passionate about. And, um, now I feel like I can help some of my friends, um, and, and speak a little bit louder with my chest, a little bit, um, with my chest, a little bit more proud when I talk about, um, trans topics. So thank you for, for allowing me in your space and for being a safe person to help, to help me, um, navigate the waters better. Thank you. Thank you, Brendan. Yeah, I love that speaking, speaking more proudly with your chest. I think everybody needs more, more of that space. So thank you. Appreciate it. I'm so excited that Brendan took the time to be on the show on Dear Skylar and really talk through all of this stuff with me. So let's answer today's question because I think the answer is actually quite simple. Can we be allies and still have questions? Yes. Yes, of course we can have questions and we can even have questions when we don't know all of the right words. I think it's so important to be able to ask the questions we're truly curious about. Now, one of the most important things I wanna share though about being able to ask questions is that asking the questions shouldn't always demand an answer. I remember this conversation I had when I was first coming out. I actually had made this big Facebook post online where I said, this is who I am, I'm transgender and so on. And one of my mom's friends, who's sort of a friend of mine, texted me probably 15 questions in a row, right? She didn't wait for me to answer any of them. She just texted them in a, in a row. Um, and, I, and I remember one of them being so clear, um, are you gonna get the surgery? And it didn't even have a question mark. It was just, like I said, a litany of questions. And oftentimes that question can be really painful for a lot of trans people constantly being asked about our genitals is not the most comfortable of questions. And I, I remember being so overwhelmed by all the questions that I don't think I answered any of them. <laughs> I think in that moment, I actually put my phone down and I went about my day. And later I came back and I answered the questions. But I think had I been in person in that moment, I really don't know what I would have done. I think I would have felt really scared. And so it's taken me a long time to figure out how to have quick responses in those moments. Sometimes the response is, I'm not answering that question, right? Sometimes the response is a sort of calm, composed answer that both answers the question and reminds people they shouldn't ask those types of questions. But what I like to remind all of us is that trans people shouldn't be expected to weather these questions that are very inappropriate and invasive. It doesn't mean the questions themselves are bad. It means that we should understand the impact of asking them. People will often say, well, I'm just curious. Well, I'm just curious. And I'm like, great, be curious. 
Understand that curiosity doesn't demand, doesn't entitle you to an answer. In this conversation with Brendan, you saw that I was answering his questions, that I corrected him sometimes on terms that he used that weren't as appropriate or respectful, and he was open to it. And so we had a really great conversation, but not every trans person will do this and has the capacity to do that or the capacity to be calm and to be kind in those conversations. Because sometimes when people ask questions that don't have the right words, we can be offended, right? Trans people can get hurt. And that makes sense too, right? So yes, we can ask questions. And yes, sometimes when we ask those questions, we can expect that we might hurt somebody and we should take responsibility for that. Brendan and I, I think did a great job communicating together also because we have trust with each other. He knew that he was safe to ask me questions and that I would answer them. I also knew that he truly cares about this cause and that mutual trust allowed for a easier, less charged conversation. As you saw Brendan learning about, for example, Leah Thomas's statistics in the world and, and the fact that mostly he digested propaganda about her performance, you saw him unlearning. And sometimes we do that through asking questions, but sometimes we do that just through listening, just through observing. And I think Brendan did a great job of both of those things. As one 76-year-old grandpa who attended one of my workshops recently said, unlearning is hard work, but it can still be done. And I think that's what I want to leave you all with is that is allyship hard sometimes? Yes, absolutely. Because there is a lot of unlearning to do, a lot of undoing to do, and that can be difficult, that can feel disruptive, that can feel distressing, but we can still do it. You can do hard things. We all can do hard things. And especially when those hard things are about the liberation of all people, I think we absolutely should do hard things.